I wonder if you've ever missed anything through looking in the wrong direction, okay? Um, For me, it's... um, I always have this thing where, you know, someone sees a shooting star and they go, (gasps) and, and, you know, I was tying my shoelace or something. But um, this guy, he's missed something pretty good while he's on his phone. We can get a bit distracted, can't we? We, uh, It's like one of those films, you know, where um, Rob was showing me a bit last night. He's trying to find a clip for us, and it was the bit in Spider-Man where um, the guy in the library's got his earphones on, and behind him, Spider-Man's fighting, and the library's getting trashed. Or what are these? Can you do these things? Some people can, some people can't. I find that uh, when my eyes were worse, because I've had laser surgery, that's another way, but when they're worse, I could do them fine, because you're just like, oh, our glasses off, could see it, no problem. But with, with it all sorted, I can't see them anymore. <laughs> okay, that's by the by. But thinking about this spiritually, we often find ourselves overwhelmed or overly concerned with the wrong things. Um, I don't know about you. I think women are particularly bad at this. We become quite fixated on a small problem becomes a massive, massive problem. And if you're like me, your husband's like, hmm, what's the problem? It's going to be fine. (laughs) But I don't know. But um, we often miss what God wants us to see. We often miss what he wants us to say. So today, we're going to look at two of Paul's letters. Um, Paul was a a follower of Jesus. He's the one that had that amazing experience on the road to Damascus, the blinding flash of light. It's him, and he's writing to two churches, one in Ephesus and one in Coloss. And is Coloss, I don't know how you say it anyway. But he's writing to two churches. We're going to look at both of those. And in each of those, he's wanting their spiritual eyes opened to the exalted king. Because that's what we're doing right up to ascension when we start that 2410. We're looking at the exalted king. What does it mean that Jesus is the exalted king? Does that make any difference to us? Would it make a difference if he was just risen? Or what exalted mean? So, he wants our eyes opened, one, to see, a bit like that uh, magic eye picture. He wants us to see, but he also wants us focused, like the, the man on his phone with the huge, beautiful whale. He wants us to be looking in the right direction. Open and focus. So let's start. We're going to read Ephesians, and it's chapter 1. And it's page 1173. Um, and the bit we're going to read is um, found. Um, you've got the big one for chapter 1, and then you'll see a little 15 underneath the words thanksgiving and prayer. So that's where we're going to read from, okay? All right? Everyone's with me. Okay, and this is Paul speaking, and he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. 
That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, turn the page, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Everything in every way. There's um, a great story, some of you may know it. It's found in 2 Kings um, chapter 6. And it's the story of Elisha. And Elisha was a prophet of God. That's someone filled with the Spirit of God uh, pre-Jesus' resurrection and ascension. So today we would say believers, followers of Jesus are filled with the Spirit permanently. Okay, we have the Spirit of God. But Elisha was a prophet before that, so he had the Spirit. And um, this got them into a lot of trouble, prophets, because they often said people, things that people didn't want to hear. Now, in this story, Elisha is in his house, and he's with his servant, whatever. And the house is surrounded by an army that want to kill him. Okay, so I want you to picture the wake up in the morning and up gets the servant, opens the door, out he goes, gets a bit of water. And it's almost like one of those scenes where he's like, okay. (laughs) And he shuts the door and he freaks out completely with Elisha. And Elisha says these words to him, okay. He says, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. He's going, huh? <laughs> and Elisha prayed for his servant. He says, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all round Elisha. So he sees God's army. He can see it, the spiritual army that is protecting. And that's why Elisha's just going, Yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> And here, Paul is praying for the Ephesians. This is a great prayer, isn't it? That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened to begin to grasp what Jesus is doing, is capable of doing, and will do with us and through us, his body. What kind of things do you think he wants to reveal? And the question is, do we want to see it? Do we want to see it? Um, as a leadership team, we, we, some of you will know and been praying for us. Thank you so much for that. But we've been away on a conference. And in the conference, we've been encouraged to dream, to vision, to look at what Portsmouth Church could look like. And on the very, very first reflection, I was so challenged, you know. Jesus... He's so gentle, isn't he? But he was just whispering to me, do you trust me enough to really dream, to really imagine? Because it was that point that I realized, God, you know, I like to dream, but because I'm quite practical, I also like to be a realist. So I've got those two things going on. And I realized God was saying, I want you to dream so much bigger. It's not about what you can do. 
You know, you don't need to think, oh, we've only got this many people and I'm only, you know, I can only do this much. But he wanted me to vision something that he was going to do, that he was already doing. So, I don't know about you, but how do you, how about you, do you want Jesus to open your eyes of your heart, to enlighten you, to see what could be? Or, like me, are you just so caught in the practical and the tangible that you almost don't want to look? That's my first bit. So the eyes of the heart are open. Let's look at verse 17, if you've got it in front of you. I'll read it. I keep asking that God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's what he wants. He he doesn't just want you to see it. Why does he want you to see it? Because he wants you to know him better. And that know, you know, we'll come to that in a minute. But it's so intimate. And I'm going to come to that. This spirit, this is important for people like me, isn't it? Who are a bit practical as well as leaders. They're very kind of, yeah, but what about this? It comes with wisdom, It doesn't just come, this vision doesn't just come on its own, but it comes with wisdom. Those of us who like to be that, well, how do you get from B from A? It comes with wisdom. The gift enables the spiritual things to be seen. Um, I was having a conversation with someone the other day who is really, really intelligent. Okay, I'm not me. Okay, Uh, really intelligent. And I remember coming away thinking, how can you be so intelligent and not see there's a God? And and likewise, atheists look at really intelligent people, again, not me, and go, how can you be so intelligent and think there's a God? But that's the point, isn't here? The Spirit gives revelation. The Spirit helps people see. It isn't about... um, just intelligent. Um, <clears throat> when we um, we want to pray for this, don't we? We want to pray for more of this spirit that would enable us to see, and we can pray this for other people we know as well. It's a great prayer, this, isn't it? For anyone you know, pray this that the spirit would give them wisdom and insight, would open the eyes of their hearts. I remember as a new Christian, I didn't have anyone teaching me particularly, but I had a Bible, something that had never made any sense to me before. Suddenly, I'm consuming it. And whenever I get to a bit I don't understand, I'm saying, God, what does it mean? And sure enough, a few days later, I read a verse and I think, oh, yeah, it makes sense now. Because the spirit is revealing it. Um, When I was thinking about this vision and revelation, I was thinking of that Zambian school. Some of you will know it because we've we've had people who belong to this church go and work there. Um, It's called Chengelo. And that came out of a vision, top of a hill prayer meeting. They had a vision of a school that would teach the future leaders of that country. Do you see how they had that vision? But God also gave them the wisdom of how to do it. And I'm sure lots of us have got examples of visions, visionaries we know, but it comes with wisdom too. Let's move on. 
So later on in his letter, you might want to just flick, have a little look, it's 2 verse 8, says, For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. And we need to keep remembering that, don't we? What we see so clearly, or what we're unable to see, is a gift. Um, a friend of mine who used to speak, he said one of the hardest things for him before he got up and spoke was kind of almost renouncing his intelligence. Because he was a really clever guy, really clever, like super geek, you know? And he could have got up and just talked his way through it. But he knew that spiritual wisdom did not equate with intelligence. He had to lay it down. You know, he loved his intelligence. God had given him it. He used it well. He worked well. But, but he knew that it needed more spiritual wisdom beyond that. So Paul prays for wisdom, for revelation, spiritual eyes open. And more than that, the eyes of their heart would be open. Now, we might think of heart being emotions. But in the New Testament, it's more than that. It's thought, it's mind, it's moral judgment, as well as emotions. It's, it's everything. The eyes of your heart open is open to truth. It's open to what's right and wrong. It's suddenly you see, well, that is that. You, know, you might say, that's obviously wrong. Well, it's because the eyes of your heart are opened. And it's open to the riches of the emotions that God's given us. So, what does Paul say will happen when the eyes of our hearts are open? Well, let's look. Number one, I want to say hope. And what does he say? He says, I pray that they'll be enlightened. And then, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And the no, I'm coming back to that, the no is like a no between a husband. Imagine a husband and wife who've been married for 50, 60 years. She knows him. She knows what he's going to do. She knows it. She knows she can rely on him. You know, that kind of knowledge. And Paul is praying that for the church, that intimate, deep relationship that you know what God is going to do. You know what he's able to do. You know his character. You know him. And you'll know spiritually the hope to which he's called you. And most people think of hope, don't they, as I hope this will happen. And it's, and it's kind of a bit wishy-washy, isn't it? But biblical hope is confident expectation. It's firm assurance that things that are unclear or uncertain, you know. You know. Um, give example, you might, as you, some, might hear someone say, oh, I, I, I would hope one day that I'd be free from anxiety. It's a common thing, isn't it? Really common. Lots of us in here will suffer from that. It's okay. You know, afraid that one day I'd be free from anxiety. But the Christian knows that they will be free from anxiety. They know it. They know that they will be free from anxiety. As a wife knows a husband, you know. I know it's possible today. I know it's certain one day. Certain one day. And someone might say, I hope that this guy or girl gets their life together. Oh, they're so messed up. They've had such a rough time. And I hope that one day they sort it out. But a Christian knows that if they give them Jesus, there's a hope 
that will certainly transform their life. Certainly. Possible today, certain one day. And that's the difference, isn't it? The hope. The eyes of our hearts will be open and know the hope to which we've been called. Romans talks about um, creation groaning and waiting to be healed. And we are waiting for that day too. We are waiting for true, complete wholeness. And at the moment, when we see things happen, it's like a breaking through of that certainty that is one day, but possible today. We're not saying, definitely going to happen. It's your fault you don't have enough faith. No, that's not, that's not right, is it? I've got the hope that I know for certain that one day that will happen and that it's possible today. That's different, isn't it? Okay, Hebrews tells us, now faith, faith being a gift from God, remember, is confidence that we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. That's faith. Confidence of what we hope for and assurance of what we don't see. So what hope do you need the eyes of your heart open to? Verse 18, we need our hearts open to know the value of what we have, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I don't know if you've ever heard someone or caught yourself saying this. Uh, It was just really hard at the moment um, because, you know, because of this, you know, there's only this and and I can't do this. I mean, it's not like we're made of money. We only earn this. And when you're in your right mind, you sort of slap yourself a bit, don't you? I do anyway. And I say, you've got so much. You're so overwhelmed with what you have. You're in the top 1% of the world's wealth or whatever it is. You're a ridiculous person to be saying this. We're so obsessed with what we don't have that we forget what we do have. And Paul tells the Ephesians in the first part of that chapter 1 that they've been blessed in every possible spiritual way everything in the heavenly realms. Our inheritance is there, blessed in every way. This valuable inheritance is for us. Our deepest, most desperate needs can be met in Jesus, our inheritance. We might be struggling with feelings of failure or We feel demoralized because we've got a boss at work who's just critical and we never never do enough for them. But we've got Jesus who affirms us, who has given us everything, who has made us perfect in him, who is able to say, well done, you're my child. We can have those needs met in him. We might dream of a world free from abuse and hatred, But Jesus has prepared that place for us that is free from illness, weakness, future home, and inheritance free from pain and suffering. All that is true and right and good. And we, his people, are blessed by him. But it's interesting, isn't it? We are part of the inheritance too. We make up this new heaven 
and this new earth. So the riches of this glorious inheritance are both Jesus and us. Jesus to us, us to Jesus. Revelation 24, 21 verse 4 gives us that picture who wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. So the question is, are we looking forward with certain hope? Do we need to be asking Jesus to open the eyes of our hearts to begin to grasp the riches in store for us? And thirdly, verse 19, let's look at the power. So we've had the hope, we've had the worth, now we're going to have the power. He says, he's immeasurably great power for us who believe. And that immeasurable conception is the word they're using is so immeasurable. It's like uh, it's something out of Star Trek, you know. It's like another dimension that you pass through a black hole to. It's another sphere of reality. It's so beyond us, we can't even begin to grasp because there's nothing we've ever known or even imagined. And how can he describe it? How can he make it real so they'll have, we'll have some chance of understanding what this power is? Well, he goes on. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above every rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything. And it's not just, like John said last week, it's not just that Christ is risen from the dead. That is exciting. Risen today. The song bursts into my head. But he is fully restored to his place of authority. You know, death is the ultimate, isn't it? It's the power that smashes all hope. But Christ has smashed it. And you know, it makes me think of that, the verses in Peter that talks about he went, you know, and he broke open the gates of the prisons. You know, he smashed it. Uh, it's like, I don't know, I'm trying to get a picture of this. Like, imagine someone stuck in, in concrete. You try pulling them out. We can't pull them out, can you? You just can't do it. It's <laughs> imagine getting their hands. They'll be like, ah! Christ has smashed it. It won't hold us anymore as it's not held him. In Hebrews, it talks about he's there and he's sat down. Because there's nothing else to do. It's done. He's at the right hand. Okay, that's equal authority. It's a way of saying he's on the throne. You know, you get a picture in Revelation of the lamb on the throne. Yeah, you're thinking, who's on the throne? Is God on the throne? Is Jesus on the throne? Is the Lamb on the throne? Is there a like this a lot? It's a picture, isn't it? It's not, it's not physical, you know. It's like, oh, you have a seat, now I have a seat. He's at the right hand. He has the same authority and power. He's over everything. He is God. He's ruling above every living being. And how do we know this true? What did Jesus say? He said, uh, I, if I go, the Spirit will come. When I've ascended, the Spirit will come. The Spirit's come. So we know that he has ascended. 
Colossians 1, uh, 3, verse 1, begins with, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Since then, death cannot and has not and will not hold us either. In the concrete, you are not staying there. He's raised us to the heavenly realms, raised us up with Christ. And guess what? And seated in the heavenly realms. You're up there too. You're seated. Nothing can separate us from Jesus' presence because God, outside of time, outside of our sphere, our reality, think about it, has seated us. Past tense. So I want you to think, do you realize that you have an audience with the one who sits on the throne? And I want you to just grasp this this morning because I feel this is really important for us. The one who is above all dominions and all powers and all authorities. And you have an audience with him and you are asking for scraps from the table. It's like me being challenged to have a bigger vision. Jesus is saying, do you realize you're seated in the heavenly realms with me? So do you need the eyes of your hearts open to see what Jesus wants us to ask the Father for? Paul prays for hope, value, power, and inheritance. And for the last little bit... We see where we are already. We see what we have. So now what? Let's just, we're going to just flip over to Colossians. So just go a few pages. 1,182. This is the last weeny little bit. So three, oh sorry, next page, 84. Chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. Okay, so it's picking up on this raising. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on the earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears you will also appear with him in glory. Now, we could have another half hour on that, but we won't. We'll have a couple of minutes. (laughs) Set your heart, set your mind. Literally, remember that verse, seek ye first kingdom of God, seek kingdom of God. It's literally seek the things above. Seek the kingdom. Seek what God wants in the world and in your life. Now you've seen it, look at it. Seek it, desire it. And this is a verb like loads of things, like the word faith in the New Testament. It's imperative continuous. Oh, it means ing. That's all you need to know, ing. (laughs) Okay, in a primary school level, it means ing. Okay, seek ing. Keep on continuously doing it. Seek the things of God. Seek that which is in the heavenly realms. Seek your focus, your mind, on what God desires in the world and in your life. And I'll give you an example. At the moment, we're, we're trying to move house. 
And from the minute we put the offer in, um, I found, I don't know if you find this sort of thing, if you've ever experienced that, but I was awake all night. Uh, I'm worrying, have we done the right thing? Was it the right price to pay? Will it fall down? Uh, is, it, is it okay? Uh, where will I put my sofa? Uh, should I build an extension? Oh, we'd need to do that. I wonder, if, oh, this is driving me crazy. And I was thinking, I'm so cross about this because I'm not looking at the things of God. I know, because my eyes have been opened, that that house is just a building. I'm not taking it with me. It might fall down tomorrow. It's nothing. It means nothing. That's not what I desire in life. That's not what I'm seeking. I'm not seeking to get a nice house and fill it with furniture. We know this, don't we? Because our eyes have been open. But so often, I'm, I'm over here. And, I, and, you know, so I thought, well, what shall I do? I know, every time I think of this house, I will think of people who have nothing. So I think about the house and I start thinking, Lord, I just want to pray for those people that live in a garage today in this country. I want to pray for those people that live on a rubbish dump. And it worked to a certain extent, but... And eventually I had to say, oh, I said to a few friends, I said to Angela, actually one of them, I said, I want you to pray for me because I can't, this is driving me mental. I don't want to be doing this. And as I thought about that, I thought it's good as a strategy, but it kind of misses the point. Our minds need to be enlightened to know what's important, but we need to fix and seek with our minds and hearts the things of God. And we cannot do that without the power of God. So often we recognize the first part. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You opened my eyes to see. I couldn't see before. And then we return to the law and try to work it out on our own. If I try really hard to keep the commandments, if I try really hard, and that will work to a certain extent, but the you that is seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus And having the ear of God did not get there because you tried really hard. Remember that. You did not get there because you tried really hard. You got there by the power of God. You got there by the power of God. And the minute people start to pray with me, I'm okay. So we need to work in partnership and cooperation. That's not that we don't try. We've got to fix our eyes and say, God, we're going this way. Help me. I can't do it on my own. Look, I'm in the concrete. But we need to be cooperating with the Spirit. The minute we start trying to do it on our own, we're going to get so far. But the you seated in the heavenly realms did not get there by just trying really hard. So let's close there. Perhaps you're in a place today, and oh, I just want to speak to those people that, aren't, that eyes aren't opened yet. You're like, I like this community. I like the love. I like the sound of Jesus. Nice guy. But I just don't know. Well, I'm going to give you space, just a few minutes, and then Margaret's going to come up, where I just want to say the Spirit of God is here. It's very clear in the Bible. Two or three are gathered. I am amongst them. So we can trust that. And I just want to give you, in the quiet, a chance to say, God, open 
the eyes of my heart. And then I'll close in prayer. Let's just bow our heads. God, we pray that the eyes of our hearts may be open to know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of the glorious inheritance and the immeasurable great power for us who believe. Thank you that we are safe in you, Jesus, that we are restored to you, And our place is with you, in eternity, secure. Holy Spirit, move in us to fix our eyes on what you want for your kingdom in the world and in our lives as we look forward with certain hope of the day you return. Amen.